Well, if you would please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse walk through the book of Acts. And it's under that theme of um, the birth and development of the church. And, of course, next week, obviously, Lord willing, Creek Don't Rise, we're here. We'll be in Acts chapter 2 when the church is birthed into existence as a church. Uh, We're still in that part where Jesus has ascended. He's departed to the Father. And and today we'll be in the text where they, they go back to Jerusalem, where he tells them to go back and wait for the promise to be witnesses. They've been empowered to be witnesses to Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world, and they go back to that area. And what we find out is that as they go back as a, as a united group of people, they go back to pray. They begin to pray. What a concept. They begin to pray. And as they pray, the Lord, we're going to see in the text, the Lord leads Peter to examine some scriptures and, and leads him to make a decision uh, for the disciples there. And we're going to see that today. And what we're really going to find out here today is that uh, the disciples are going to gather. They're going to gather, right? They're going to gather and pray God's will. They're going to gather and discern God's will. And they're going to gather and accept God's will. And anytime we gather, that's basically what we've come to do. Even though we're already a church that's already been birthed and everything, we're coming to pray God's will. And we look to God's word to discern and understand God's will, and then when it happens, we accept God's will. We learn to surrender to what he wants, not what we want. We, we, we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. And so that's what we're going to do. And so I've entitled the message, the, the disciples gather together and wait. They gather together and wait. And what I'd like to do is in Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> I would like to read verse 12 through 14 if you want to stand for that. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, and I'll read and have prayer. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord or with one mind, one purpose, in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's pray. Debbie, Father, we come to you today in one mind, in one purpose, Maybe not personally, we may have many requests that are in our hearts, many desires that we have presented to you in prayer, but Father, our one purpose today will be as as we gather, Father, we will glean from what you have to say, and it will give you the greatest glory out of all things, that you would receive glory, that Jesus would be lifted high, that all kinds of men would come to him, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So two weeks ago, Jesus had ascended. He had ascended to the Father to present himself to the Father. Uh, He told the disciples, as I go, I'm going to leave one, the Comforter, the Promised One, the Spirit of God. He's going to empower you. 
And when he empowers you, you're going to be witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus gave him that promise. He said, now, now go back and wait and pray. Well, remember when he ascended, they were just kind of gazing. They were in awe. And two angels appeared and said, what are you, what are you gazing at? You know, the same way he left, the same way he's going to come. Go and do what he said to do. And that's what they do in our text in verses, uh, uh, verses 12 through 26. They go back to Jerusalem. They're just a, they're just a day's journey. They're not very far. Uh, when it says a Sabbath day journey, it doesn't mean it's very far. Uh, during the time of Exodus, uh, a Sabbath day's journey was not very far from the tabernacle. It was just a, a little walk. I don't know how many feet that would be, maybe a half a mile or something. But during the days of Exodus, when they were in the wilderness, they would always have to camp a, a Sabbath day journey from the tabernacle where they would worship God. And they were in that essence, that distance, there at the Mount of Olivet, Olivet to Jerusalem. And they went back to Jerusalem. They showed back up in the upper room. If you remember the upper room in the Gospels, that's where Jesus showed himself, resurrected to them the first time. And so they went back to this upper room, and it, and it, was, it, was, it was the main apostles. It was Mary and, and all his brothers and half-brothers and things of Jesus. And so they all went back there, and they began to pray. And it says they, were, they had one purpose, and it was to pray together concerning what he had told them, that there's coming a time that God's going to send the promised one to empower them to be witnesses. So what they were doing is they knew that eventually they were going to have to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world. So that what they began to do was to begin to pray, okay, Lord, prepare my heart for that day. Prepare my heart for that time. Prepare my heart for that task. Prepare my heart for that mission. And as they began to pray, as I said in the text, Peter, perhaps maybe during some of his time of prayer, he's just gleaning the Psalms, the book of Psalms. And God moves him to lead them to set up some leadership to replace Judas, who was a betrayer and a non-believer. And in our text here, uh, uh, Peter's going to be moved by the scriptures, and, and, and then those that are there are going to go through a process of selecting someone to replace Judas. They're going to have two men that they can pick from that are qualified based off some qualities that Peter said that must be to be an apostle, and then they go through a simple process of casting the lots, and it falls on Matthias. And Matthias becomes that 12th apostle to replace Judas, who was the betrayer. So that's kind of where we're at in our story. I know we only read verse 12 through 14 that just said they went off and prayed. But in verse 12 through 14, let's look at the disciples gather. The disciples gather to pray God's will. They gather to pray God's will. Look at verse 12 through 14 with me again. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplications with the women 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is one of the first times it ever mentions his brothers in light of being believers. Prior to all that, they were always kind of skeptical. But the disciples gather together to pray God's will be done. They know that they're going to be empowered. So as they gather, they gather in one place with the idea of worship, of worship through prayer together. They have one purpose. Let's worship God in prayer and seek his will out. Seek this power that he's speaking of. Let's pray together. Let's come together with one purpose, one mind, and go back to where he said to go, and let's pray with one purpose, and that is that his power would fall upon us to be witnesses to this world, gospel witnesses. They gathered in that one place to worship, and they gathered with one purpose, as I said, to worship. Did you know we do that every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night when we gather as a local church? I know on Sunday mornings, my, my pattern has been on Sunday mornings, we're going to be in the New Testament. And uh, Sunday evenings, we're going to be in the Old Testament. On Wednesday nights, it's more doctrinal or theological. We've been actually walking through Benjamin Keats' catechism. I'm kind of rewording it for modern English and for my purposes and maybe combining some questions and answers. But it's just a series of questions and answers and then scripture proofs that prove the answer to the question, whether it's does God exist or who's the most preeminent one and things of that nature. And it's just good because... the Usually on a Wednesday night is a little bit more core group, and I, and I believe that's, that's where you're going to need uh, probably more doctrinal teaching about just the more deep things. But, but on Sunday mornings, we're going to stick to the New Testament. Uh, the Lord has led me here. He led me to the book of Acts way before he ever called me to preach. I just said, where am I going to go, Lord, after that Christmas? And this is where he led me. And now we're talking about the birth and development of the church. We've seen Jesus depart. He has ascended. The church is gone now. They've gathered together in that one place to worship through prayer and seeking God's power, seeking God's will, seeking his glory is what they're together for. And that's how we gather together every Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night as a tradition. That's when we would meet as an American church, right? So we gather to, to worship God and seek his glory, his purpose, his will, not my agenda, and one of the things we'll find out here after a while is that they are in a specific uh, set of circumstances with Judas gone and killing himself and being a portrayer of Jesus. They're within a certain current event. And it's interesting how Peter takes that current event of, Ju of Judas's situation and instead of trying to make it fit the scripture he searches the scriptures and the scriptures shows him how to address that current event there are a lot of preachers today they follow the newspaper and then that's what they're going to preach on that sunday morning not this preacher i preached the book of revelation already twice in the last five years i have literally verse by verse chapter by chapter from the front of the book to the end of the book i have done it twice in five years and not once have i quoted any newspaper article any website, I have just preached God's word and it has become so relevant to what we're seeing in those days and today. You know why? Because the scripture is all profitable. It's all relevant. All scripture, Old and New Testament, it's all relevant. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, instruction. But these disciples gathered to pray God's will. 
they knew it was better to obey Christ to, to go and pray. As he said, go and pray. Wait for the Spirit. They knew it was better to obey than to sacrifice. They knew it was better to wait than to be in a hurry. So many times, so many churches have had an idea of what they're going to do, and that's all fine and dandy, a vision, a direction, but they get real hasty. Uh, they want results now. Uh, if, if, if we want results, then we better rely on God for results. Amen? Because you think of Noah for 120 years. He preached righteousness. And for 120 years, he built an ark. And out of that 123 years of preaching righteousness, making an ark, preparing for the, for the judgment that was come, and told everybody why he was building it, because judgment was coming, even though they'd never seen that kind of judgment, he preached for 120 years. And he, his wife, his three sons, the three daughter-in-law, that was the only converts he had. And somebody would say, I wouldn't want him as my pastor. I would, because he preached faithful. He preached righteousness. He obeyed God. And because he obeyed God, it preserved and saved the very idea of mankind, because through him, then came the rest of mankind. Thank God for people like Noah. Thank God for people like Jeremiah, who was preaching to a flint rock, and it just hit the rock and fell to the floor. He was a weeping prophet. Well, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. I had a friend one time I was, I was helping, and uh, on a Sunday evening, I got to his house that Sunday morning. And as I'm leaving that Sunday evening, he says, Oh, by the way, I told such and such couple, you're going to go see them tonight at the hospital. And I'm like, I've got like an hour and a half drive back to my wife and oldest son who is a baby. And I said, Well, I can't do that. I've got to take care of my family. I've got to get back home. Oh, no, I told him you're going to be there. I said, Well, First of all, i got to go south and east an hour and a half, and you're asking me to go an hour west in a state that I'm not familiar with. <laughs> and there was no Google map back then. I didn't have any map. I said, besides, the bottom line is I have responsibility to my family. They're expecting me home. And he said, well, Steve, he said, if you're going to be in the ministry, it's going to be about sacrifice. I said, brother, the Bible says it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And I said, I'm going to obey the Lord and manage my own household. Otherwise, I can't manage the household of God. And these disciples realized it was better to obey Jesus than to make some kind of sacrifice or some hasty decision and get in a hurry. Just go and wait and pray and not be in any hurry. I think so many times we as human beings, we live in a, we used to say back in the 80s, our microwave society. Well, now it's all internet Google society. We can just Google it, right? I mean, if Karen asked me a question that I obviously don't know the most things, I just say, well, let's Google it, you know. And that's all fine and dandy. It has its place, does it not? But sometimes it's so much better to maybe grab a dictionary or to grab an encyclopedia or to grab a hard book and dig. And I think it's real easy to, to become even a concordance cripple with your Bible versus being familiar with your Bible. But the point is, is that... Uh, Sacrifice has its place, does it not? Because we've got to deny ourselves. But yet we're obeying. So obedience is better than sacrifice. And they choose to obey. They choose to wait and not hurry. The disciples gathered together that begin to pray about God's will. The second thing they do is the disciples not only gather to pray God's will, but in verse 15 through 20, the disciples discuss discuss to discern 
God's will. Look at verse 15 through 20. And in those days, that is, in those days where they were united in prayer, seeking God's will in prayer, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of, of names was, was about 100, 120 and said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled. In other words, he's been thinking about Judas all this time. The betrayer, him killing himself. He's thinking about it. It had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth, before, before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. In other words, he was present during this time. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem about Judas Iscariot going out and hanging himself and falling to the ground, gushing out, so that the field is called in their own language, Akadama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written, he's quoting David in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate. And let no one live in it. And let another take his office. During this time of prayer, seeking God's glory, seeking God's will concerning the power and how it is going to empower them to be witnesses, they begin to discuss from the scriptures that Peter brings up to discern what has happened, what that current event was, this Judas that was with them all this time. He was there at the beginning of the ministry. He saw Jesus walk and talk uh, to people. He saw his death. He saw his resurrection. And he went out and hung himself and killed himself. Throwed his 30 pieces of silver back and committed suicide. And Peter, for whatever reason, the denier for a period of time, was trying to figure all that out. And apparently he had been reading the Psalms. And what he did is he began to discuss with the disciples there from the scriptures to discern what had happened and what has to happen now to replace this Judas to make 12 apostles, those who had seen his life ministry, his death, and his resurrection. They, at that moment when Peter spoke up, they made the word of God central, central to their understanding. They didn't just say, well, I think Judas did this, and it's probably because Judas thought that. He was seeking the scriptures to find an answer, to find some understanding as to what Judas had done. Maybe not why Judas did it, but that Judas had done. And he was trying to make sense of it. You know, we live in a world that's crazy. It was just four years ago, I was teasing somebody the other day, about four years ago. I was dropping my Joey off at a church to go to Falls Creek. And I teased this. And I just, back then there was just gender confusion. That's all there was. Boy, girl, girl, boy. And I was teasing this little girl that he knew. And I said, you know, I think I'm a little cat. I need a kitty litter box. She goes, hey, you're funny, Papa Smurf. Well, nowadays people think they're unicorns and they're cats. And it's like, it's, it's like an insanity. It's like a mental health breakdown. And what it is, it's Romans chapter 1. God is just allowing them to just 
end up with an empty, reprobate mind. He's just letting them go the direction they want to go. And it is a form of insanity, if you want to call it that, if you want to give it a scientific word. But really what it is is that when you are raised to not know that you are made in the likeness and image of God, that you came from either monkeys or green amoebas and big bangs and everything, well, everything's possible, right? I'm a unicorn, I'm a this, I'm a that. But what you know that you came to the image of God, that you were made in his likeness as a triune being, it keeps you in check as to, well, how did that happen? Well, it's when he made male and female. Genesis is relevant. Our origin is relevant. And these disciples, Peter, stood up and made the word of God central to their understanding as to what had happened and what to do now. They used the word of God as a central, not only direction as to what they do, but they used the word of God to interpret for their understanding. They used the word of God. They, they built a biblical worldview based off what Judas had done. They were building a biblical worldview as to what had happened and how to address it. That's why it is so important that when we come together, we gather to pray God's will be done, not ours. And when we come together, we gather to look to God's word, in essence, to discuss and discern God's will concerning not only us as a body of believers and you and your home, but in the world in which we live. To have a biblical worldview so that when the world does say X, Y, or Z, we're not confused and we're not uh, uh, pushed off into a way of direction that we don't need to go. We need a biblical worldview. And if we don't present the word of God when we come together to worship, guess what? It's probably my opinion up here, or it's just hearsay. But what we do is we go to God's word and we pull from it what God is saying. And what God is saying today is that even we as disciples must pray God's will. And we as disciples must come to God's word to discuss God's will because it's, it's revealed and discerned from what God has given us, his revelation, the Bible. All of the word of God is profitable. So many churches are choosing man's craftiness to get the message across. And I'm telling you, the word of God is profitable. It's good for doctrine, reproof, instruction, and encouragement. I stepped into an Old Testament book one time. I've been in it for about three weeks. And an older gentleman, about 92 years of age, that I highly respected, he came up to me and he says, that book's not relevant. And I said, well, what do you mean it's not relevant? He said, well, it's just not relevant to what we're living today. I said, well, Paul told Timothy that all Scripture is relevant. But this man was a New Testament preaching only. And I said, well, then Paul doesn't know what he's talking about over there in the New Testament when he says all Scriptures are profitable. Now, I'm not saying that everything that we would read in here, maybe in the book of Leviticus, would be very relevant to us, maybe as an individual, because it's a hard book to kind of walk through and try to glean from it. But it's been done. I, and I told that man, I said, I said, I'm not smart enough to preach through Leviticus. I said, but I've heard preachers that are. And it's very relevant when they, when they bring out Christ out of the book of Leviticus. And here's Peter. He's pulling from the word of God and profiting from it. Instruction, direction, encouragement. All the word of God is profitable. And all of the word of God is relevant to our current events and past events. 
Peter sees that. And as Peter sees that, as they pray, they're praying God's will be done as the power falls. They're, they're discussing as the disciples from the word of God to discern God's will. And then verse 21 through 26, the disciples decide to accept God's will. They prayed about God's will. They discerned it from the word of God. Now they're going to decide and accept God's will. Look at verse 21 through 26. Therefore, Ben's Judas has to be replaced. Ben's he's in a desolate place and someone needs to take his other office. Therefore, one of these men who have accompanied us all the time, he's talking about out of that 120, they're just standing there. One of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John. Remember when Jesus was baptized, the baptism of repentance. To the day when he was taken up from us, the ascension. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. He's still focused on being empowered to what? To be a witness. Somebody's got to replace this guy to be one of us apostles with these criteria to be a witness. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, after they picked these two guys that met that criteria, it says they prayed and said this, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas was trans by transgression fell, that he might go into his own place. In other words, where he chose to go without God. Verse 26, And they cast lots, they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. Matthias became the twelfth apostle by the casting of lots through prayer. The disciples gathered to pray God's will, they discussed to discern from God's word God's will, and they decided to accept God's will. How did they come to a decision? Well, in that day, and matter of fact, from this point forward in the Bible, no longer did they cast lots. They didn't cast lots after this time. The Bible says in Proverbs 16:33, the lots are cast into the lap, but every decision of the Lord. The Old Testament practice to decide what might be the Lord's will is they would cast the lots. And however the lots, the, the, the dice, as you would say, the dice would fall. That's how they decided what the Lord wanted. And from this point forward, there was no more of the casting of the lots. You also know that there's, there's times in the Old Testament where maybe they laid out a fleece. And if the fleece is this way or that way, that's how I know the Lord's will. But it was kind of interesting. One of the things that Jesus would teach is let your yes be yes and you know be no. And so that's how they made decisions in that day and specifically on that day. They casted lots. But before they casted lots, they set two credible men before them. Both of these men had to be Alive when Jesus was walking and talking and be hanging out with him during that time. They had to be at his baptism. They had to be at his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. They chose two men that were credible concerning the qualities that they needed. But they only accepted one as God's sovereign will. 
many men, as they saw, could fit this pattern. In their case, they found two that could fit that pattern. But they knew they only needed one that would fit God's sovereign purpose. And they casted lots, and it fell on Matthias. One of the things I thought about when I saw this, I thought about how uh, different churches, there's at least two, two predominant ways church govern, churches govern themselves. There's a democratic process as we have. And when we have business meetings and, and maybe even deacons meetings and when we have other meetings, it's, it's based off a majority or maybe a plurality sometimes, but definitely a majority. That's how we kind of decide things around here at Calvary Baptist because that's how we have set ourselves up to govern ourselves. But even that uh, democratic process does have its limitation. And the limitation is, is what if we want to cause mob rule, right? I mean, we start politicking before we go to vote, and it could cause mob rules. So it does have limitations. It doesn't make it a bad process. Matter, doesn't ma matter of fact, it doesn't mean I'm going to change the process. I'm okay with that process, and I'm sure you are too. But it does have its limitations. Then some churches choose what they call eldership-led uh, churches, which is more of a pluralistic uh, eldership-led, and whatever they decide pluralistically, uh, unanimously, then that's what the church does. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that process either, but there is a limitation, right? And the limitation on that process is, is that Paul talks about laying hands on the elders and not doing it hastily. Because he says some men's sins are obvious when you lay hands on them, so don't lay hands on them. And some men's sins will, will surface later. So it has its limitations that although you, if we were to choose that government, we would try to be careful laying hands on somebody to become an elder to lead the church. But even then, they're human, right? And they might make some mistakes. They might... Do something in the flesh. So however we govern ourselves, whether it's through a de democratic process or an eldership led, led, there's nothing wrong with either one of them, but they do have their limitations. You know why? Because we're all human. And even this casting of the lots, that's, that's why they casted the lots back in the day. It was just kind of roll the dice, and it didn't have anything to do with you or me. Maybe you thought you were lucky rolling the dice, but they just kind of casted the lots. And however it fell, that's how they accepted the will of God. And, of course, because we are a democratic process we go by what the majority says or whatever we say is the standard uh, of, of the percentage and that's what we live by that that is the will of God for Calvary Baptist Church these disciples decided to accept God's will but to find God's will the first thing they did is to begin to pray right they begin to pray God's will then they looked to God's word to discern God's will and then from that prayer and from that research and seeking out God's will, they brought two men that were qualified. And then they, for lack of words, they voted. They cast lots. And one was accepted as God's will. So what do we learn from this? <clears throat> as a believer, I'm going to get me a cough drop here. The disciples were gathering just as we gather. As we gather, I pray that you're praying God's will. I pray that as we gather, <clears throat> you're seeking God's will. And I pray that as we gather and we do vote on things, that we accept God's will as we say we govern ourselves. Because if we don't, 
if we don't pray and if we don't have a standard and if we don't stick to a process, it's nothing but chaos, confusion, mob rule, whatever you want to call it. So in the text today, God has given us a way to process his will, pray his will. The disciples gathered together as they, and as they waited <clears throat> for the promise of power, they built unity through prayer. They built camaraderie from God's word and they placed in leadership so that when God did move, they would be ready. And that's kind of where we're at as a church right now. We have leadership in place. We're praying. We're seeking God's will. And when God moves, we'll be ready. We'll be prepared. So as a believer, this is the appeal to the believer, we gather in this one place, as I said, to worship as a united group of people. As a united group of people that are seeking unity through our prayers, through our giving, through our singing, through looking at God's word, we are, we are creating a spirit of unity. And we, we open God's word so that we might find direction, discernment, understanding, to be equipped to do the ministry outside of these four walls. By the way, when you leave these four walls, you are now on the mission field. Once you leave these four walls, you're on the mission field. But while you're in here, you're here to be equipped. You're here for God to empower you. You're here for God to encourage you. You're here for God to correct and instruct you so that when you do walk out those four walls, you do have something to say. You do have something to share. We as the soul of the earth, we season, as I said before, in our state of the church and direction, we season our culture with a lifestyle that is evident of joy, peace, and righteousness. We are the salt of the earth. And the way you live is how you season this world. The way you live, the Bible says, Jesus says, people will see your good works and glorify God as in heaven. When you are walking as the salt of the earth, expressing joy, peace, and righteousness, you're going to influence this world as the salt. And it is only through that experience of seasoning the world that we can even reason with them. I heard a guy say one time, you got to know them to show them. And you do. How can I just come up to this man right here and say, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Now, there may be a time, I guess, the Spirit of God can lead you. But David at first is going to be pretty intimidated, isn't he? If I walk him up in Walmart and do that. Versus if I see him in Walmart, every day I'm in Walmart, begin to build a relationship with David, who I know works there, then one day I might just say, hey, David, um, can I ask you a question? Or David might say, hey, I got a question, preacher. We've got to season this world. We've got to influence it through our lives, our words, our actions, our attitudes. And from that will come opportunities to reason. That's why Peter said, be ready. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. It implies that you're living in such a way in a world that is opposite of how you're living and how you're speaking and how your attitude is that they will ask you, what's wrong with you? 
Why do you believe this? Why aren't you scared in this world? I had someone ask me the other day about my Joey. Aren't you scared? He's right there on the Horn of Acre, down by the south of the Red Sea. He's in the army. He's guarding Camp Lemire. I said, no, I'm not scared. Well, you can lose your son. I said, I know. I may get that 24-hour call. I said, but I'm not scared. Because I know who is in the, involved in the affairs of men and women, and that's God. He is sovereign. And I said, I also know the reason I'm not panicky that Joey's in that boat is because 23 years ago when he got born, when he was born, I began to teach him about Jesus. And he knows the Lord. I'm not waiting when he's 21 and in the army saying, oh, hope he knows Jesus. I've been teaching him since he was born. I had an answer for the hope that was in me. They still didn't understand it. I said, well, you need Jesus is what you need. As a believer, we gather. We gather to pray. We gather to examine God's word. And we gather to watch God through our votes, through our actions, decide things as the direction of where we go as a church. And we learned that watching this early church. Well, it's not even the church yet. These disciples, how they worked together. They gathered to pray. They gathered to examine God's will. And they gathered to for lack of words, vote on it and have a consensus. This must be God's will. And then they were willing to accept it. Well, you say, well, then what would this message mean to a non-believer? And when we say non-believer, what we mean is someone who has never come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, someone who is still lost in sin, someone who is rejecting God, someone who is hiding from God, according to John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. They're, they're hiding from God. They love their sin. They don't want to walk away from their sin. That's a non-believer, someone who has never repented of their sins and turned their faith to Jesus Christ. So this is what the message would be to a non-believer. We want you to know as a non-believer that we are here as a witness to you. Along with nature, along with scripture, the church is a witness to you. It is a threefold witness of the simple gospel. Christ, as the just one, died on the cross for the unjust, the sinner. He died and took the punishment of all sin. But he not only died for your sins to to. to, to cleanse you from your guilt, but he rose again from the dead, overcoming death, hell, and the grave, so that those who call upon him not only have cleansing, but they have eternal life and eternal security. They have life to now live for God. And so we would make an appeal to a non-believer to tell you that Christ is the truth, the way, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father except through him. And how that works is you simply have to turn your back on what your way is, what you think is your way to be good enough to meet God. Turn your back on that and turn your face to Jesus because he's the only one that can die on the cross for your sins. Karen and I listened to a memorial service yesterday over the phone in another state. And they used John 14, 1 through 4 which is a very comforting text where, you know, I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. And as the service began to develop, we began to realize, okay, the reason they did verse 1 through 4 and skipped 5 and 6 is because they were given a very universal message. I mean, it's going to make you feel good. I'm preparing a place for you. 
where I go, it's all universal message. And, and Karen and I discern from the Word of God, verse 5 and 6 brings it all into context, this comfort promise of preparing a place. You must come through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And nowhere in that message, nowhere in that ceremony, other than just comforting words and pleatitudes of a, of a great place and a, and a great time with God. They never said, and that great time with God only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's what we would preach to lost people, that they are lost in sin. They are guilty of transgressing the laws of God, not because they're worse than other people. They're condemned already because they love their sin, and they'd rather have their sin than have God. They don't want to stand before God. And we would make an appeal to a lost person, don't remain that way. Come to Christ, who will cleanse, who will set you free. So I'm going to ask Kim and the ladies to come forward. And during this time to the believer, maybe perhaps you need to surrender the idea of not just praying God's will, looking to God's will, but accepting God's will in your life, whatever's going on. Because listen, he is in control. He's involved in all the affairs of men. And he's bigger than we are. He's wiser than we are. And he can take care of things. So as, as a church, may we be a praying church, praying God's will, not ours. May we be a church that's seeking out his kingdom first and not our kingdom. May we be a people that when things are decided, we accept it as God's will and move forward as God's people. If you're here this morning, you're a non-believer. Don't end up where Judas was. He had heard the sweet words of Jesus. He had heard the great sermons of Jesus. He had seen the great miracles of Jesus. He even saw Jesus was crucified. He had seen and heard that Jesus was alive. And he rejected all that and died without Christ. You come, whatever your need is. Stand for the hymn of invitation, hymn number 279. 279.